her. He's a very calm guy, and he obeys her quietly. He doesn't shame his wife. And I think we've got to get a little more credit for him. A lot more. <laughs> um, we're going to start on page 1497, Matthew 1, 18 to 25. The birth of Jesus Christ. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ was pledged to be married to Joseph. Before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man. He did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He held in mind, had in mind, divorce her quietly. But after he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home. As your wife, because what is succeeded in her is from the Holy Spirit. She'll give birth to a son, and you are to give him his name, Jesus, because he'll save his people from their sins. All this took place fulfilled what the Lord has said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child. He'll give birth to a son, and he will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Betty. So when I was in grade four, it was at the end of the school year, and we were in our gym. We were in gym class, and I looked up at the ceiling, and we had those big, big fans that were in metal, kind of encasing uh, little metal racks, kind of protect the fan from the balls that would bounce around. And I looked up, and I said out loud, there's a tennis ball up there. And my teacher looked at me and said, Chris, that's been there for three years. <laughs> I had a similar experience this Christmas season as I was reading the Christmas story. Suddenly, I noticed the Holy Spirit's presence all through the story, all different places. The Holy Spirit's been there for centuries. <laughs> Holy Spirit's been in the text. The Holy Spirit's been present. But I've always focused, I don't know about you, on Jesus coming and the baby Jesus and the excitement of the angels and, and all the other kind of miraculous things that are happening. And suddenly this year I saw the Holy Spirit sitting there, moving throughout this whole story. And it was one of those moments of, of noticing something that has been there all along, but I've seemingly somehow overlooked. I actually had a little bit of that this morning again as we were saying the Apostles' Creed because we do the I believe in God the Father and there's a little paragraph about God the Father and then I believe in Jesus Christ the Son and there's a long bit about Jesus Christ and then I believe in the Holy Spirit and then we go on to the church and other things and and there was a, oh, we kind of rush past the Holy Spirit, don't we? Now, I think the Holy Spirit's actually more present through there, and, and we could talk about that theologically. But the, the grab 
Holy Spirit is there. The Holy Spirit is with us. The Holy Spirit is present and active in this story. And, and it's really important that the Holy Spirit is because we don't move from the nostalgia of remembering something that happened way back when to the reality of Jesus' birth shaping our lives today without the Holy Spirit. So I want to draw our attention just to some of the things that have jumped out at me about the Holy Spirit's involvement. You may recall way back in the beginning of Scripture, it talks about the Holy Spirit brooding over the emptiness before creation. It actually says the breath of God brooding over creation, brooding over the darkness. And in that, out of that, comes this idea that, that God the Father, through the Spirit and with the Son, breathes life into creation, causes life to exist, creates something out of nothing. The Holy Spirit being very involved in the act of creation. You may recall as well that, that along the story of God's redemption, he comes to a, a person, Abraham, and, and calls Abraham, but Abraham's wife is barren and old. And God, through his spirit, causes her in her old age, 90 years old. Any 90-year-old women in here? God causes Sarah at 90 to give birth to a child. And not just the barrenness of Sarah. If you read the story carefully, it's, it's also Isaac's wife, Rebecca, and, and Jacob's wife, Rachel. Those three generations that God the Father moves through the Spirit to give life where it seemed life was impossible. And what do we have in this story? The Holy Spirit who's been the one who creates life in places where it seems like there is no hope and there is no life, creating life in Mary, conceiving Jesus Christ. The Spirit at work and moving quietly in the background. We profess it in the creed, conceived by the Holy Spirit, but we kind of blow past the Spirit's work. Here the Spirit continues doing what the Spirit has always been doing, creating life, calling life into existing, creating something new where it seemed impossible. Spirit, the Spirit moves multiple times in the story, sending angels that show up at Lot's house. Do you remember Lot? Yeah. Lot had turned away from Abraham and said, I'm going to go live in the city. And it turns out through the story that there's less than 10 people still loyal to God in the city of Sodom and Gomorrah, and Lot happens to be one of them. Living in a place that is immoral, so much so that we name some sins after the immorality that was there. And Lot's living there, and angels come to rescue timid and, and struggling Lot. 
to, to draw him out of a place of judgment, a place where, where judgment was coming down, and, and to draw him out and bring him into a land that he would actually prosper in, to save him. If you read just after the story here, you encounter the wise men, and the wise men get warned in a dream to go back a different way, the Spirit working again. And not only that, but the Spirit sends angels to speak to Joseph, to tell him to pick up his family and move to escape the incoming judgment of Herod, who's going to go to Bethlehem and wipe out every kid, every male under two. And God leads Joseph and saves him from that coming destruction and, and moves him to Egypt. And then when the time is right, brings him back and then speaks to him again and says, don't go back to Bethlehem, settle in Nazareth. The Spirit moving and speaking through angels, through visions, through dreams. It is an incredible story when you stop and think about it, the ways that the Spirit is at work in this story that resonate with parts of the story of God's people throughout time and how the Spirit has always been at work. And the Spirit keeps showing up. Brennan Manning, who was reflecting on the mystery of this text and the wonder of what God does through the Spirit, and giving birth to Jesus in the manger. He says it this way, you could more easily catch a hurricane in a shrimp net than you can understand the wild, relentless, passionate, uncompromising, pursuing love of God made present in the manger. It's the Spirit who is at work bringing about this event where Jesus would be born in that manger, and it is a wild mystery. Jesus, Jesus later on, talking to Nicodemus, says, you don't know where the Spirit moves, where it's come from or where it's going, but you recognize the signs of its presence, like recognizing the wind blowing through a tree. And when we stop and pay attention to this story, we see the Spirit moving, blowing through the lives of the people who are involved in the story, blowing through the lives of the people we tend to pay attention to. The Spirit working and moving. Betty was right. We often overlook Joseph. He actually has no lines. Any of you ever been in the school play where you get to walk across the stage but you don't get any lines? Joseph has no lines. Like he, he has all these dreams. He is a pivotal character. He shows up multiple times in the story. He even shows up when Jesus is 12 and his parents lose him for three days. All right? Joseph shows up in all these places and yet he never speaks. He doesn't have a song like Zechariah does or Mary does. He, he doesn't have a prophecy like Simeon he, or Anna. He, he is steadfast and quiet. You know, one of the remarkable things about Joseph is the description given of him is that he was a righteous man. Did you catch that? 
when it was describing Joseph, it says he was a righteous man. And we think, oh, okay. It's used of only one other person in the New Testament. It's used in the New Testament to refer back to one other person outside of Jesus. The only other person referred to as righteous in the New Testament is Simeon, who prophesies on the day of Jesus' Jesus' dedication at the temple. It's actually a characteristic of God in the Old Testament. God is the righteous God. And so in describing Joseph in this kind of unique way, the author of Matthew, the one describing this gospel to us, is saying, this is a really important characteristic. This guy has the characteristics of God. He's similar He's similar in some ways to some of the Old Testament heroes in that sense. Abraham is described as someone who is righteous before God. Ruth and Boaz. Boaz is described as being righteous. And these are the types of characters that we're supposed to think about. People who trusted God, who, who gave up all sorts of things to follow God, who risked everything they had, including shame, in order to follow God. They were convinced that the most important thing was to live within the rules and the ways that God had set for them, and they followed him faithfully. Joseph was a righteous man. I don't know if you caught it, but in our confession time, as we were reading through that text, it describes Jesus as being the righteous one. He had his father's characteristics we may not catch the full glimpse of the impact Joseph had on Jesus. And we can play the theology to talk about how Jesus' character comes from God the Father, which it does, but it comes from God the Father through Joseph. Joseph is a righteous man. Jesus learns righteousness from his daddy. The Spirit at work behind the scenes. There's something powerful in this story, though, when you consider that righteousness, because another way of talking about righteousness is someone who keeps the law zealously. Who keeps the law zealously would have looked at someone like Mary and said, you have sinned and you must be held accountable for it. And the accountability for the sin of getting pregnant outside of marriage the accountability for getting pregnant while betrothed to another man who you are not pregnant by. Well, the penalty was up to death. Joseph, in his righteousness, in following the ways of the law, could have had Mary brought out and stoned to death. And you see that he is not only righteousness, but that the Spirit has gifted him with compassion and mercy. His response in this text is, I don't want to shame her. I'm actually concerned about her well-being, even though she has done something wrong that offends his honor, that actually would bring shame upon him. He decides he's going to quietly divorce her so that she doesn't get publicly disgraced by this whole situation. He, in his righteousness, says, God, there has to be a way that this doesn't end in death for her, but ends in life, even if it is not life with me as I thought it would be.
And so he's convinced he's found a way that he would, public, he would not publicly disgrace her or bring shame upon her, but he would act, act in accordance with both compassion and righteousness. Best laid plans, huh? He went to sleep. He had a dream. An angel shows up in the dream. Not an everyday happening. How many of us have had angels show up in our dreams? Maybe, but not often. The amazing thing about the way the Spirit has worked through Joseph and the kind of character that the Spirit has formed in Joseph is that when he gets up in the morning, he goes and does what the Spirit told him to do. He goes and takes Mary home as his wife. Now, I don't know about you, but I probably would have been saying, what was in that lamb stew last night? What did I eat or drink? That was a weird dream. I might even tell Henny, I had a weird dream last night. But Joseph's response is to get up and say, that was God speaking to me. The Spirit spoke to me, and I am, I'm going to follow the Spirit. And following the Spirit in this sense, by taking Mary home with him who was already pregnant and people knew it was not pregnant by Joseph, by taking her in, he said, I am going to follow the Spirit even though it ruins my reputation. Even though it brings questions and shame and that little back-talking, gossiping in the community upon me. Did you hear what happened? Mary's pregnant. It's not even Joseph's kid. That back-talking, that conversation, that murmuring. And not only that, Joseph, in obedience to the government, but also taking his wife with, goes to Bethlehem, has his life upended and, and has to find a place and finds that he can't find a place and ends up in an inn, actually in the stable of an inn. No room for them, no comfortable place to lay down. He, he encounters a space where he's not the provider and has to go somewhere that's foreign to him. Joseph as you continue to watch him through the story, remains obedient to the prompting and leading of the Spirit, remains disruptible. For you English folks, I know it's not a word. Grammarly highlighted it for me when I was making my notes. It's got a red line under it. Disruptible. Not disruptive. A few of us know what it means to be disruptive or to have disruptive people in our houses. Disruptible. Okay, Lord, here's my plan. This is what I'm going to do. This is how I'm going to live out righteousness and yet remains open to the Spirit's prompting that in a moment, in a nighttime of God speaking to him, he can get up and have his life changed. And it happens not once with Joseph, but over the course of the story in the next two chapters, happens three times that the Spirit speaks to him through an angel and he gets up and follows. We don't have a Christmas story, not in the way it's written, without Joseph's willingness to follow the Spirit. 
without the Spirit forming a character in him that is both righteous and compassionate, without the Spirit forming in him such a trust in God that he allows his life to be disrupted, his best laid plans for what it meant to be successful, to be upended, to change direction in a moment's notice. We sang that song, we've been immersed in this song, Come Thou Long Expected Jesus. And the fourth verse, Tim, can you actually put that fourth verse back up? Sorry to catch you on the fly there. By thine own eternal spirit, rule in all our hearts alone. Joseph lived that out. Joseph lived out for us what it means to have the Spirit rule in our hearts alone. As we have been going through this Advent series, we've been asking a question each week, and and the question this week, I'll read it word for word. How will I make room for Jesus to rule my heart? How will I make room for Jesus to rule my heart? And the reality is we can't do it on our own. We need the Spirit who is hovering and brooding over the darkness at the beginning of creation, who was giving life in Sarah and in Rebecca and Rachel, who gave life inside of Mary. And we need the Spirit who, who took Abraham and led him to a foreign land with only the promise that one day your ancestors will live here. And the only land he really saw was a grave. That's the only land that Abraham actually owned in the promised land. And we need the Spirit to work on us just as he did in rescuing Lot. We need the Spirit to work in us and form in us the character of righteousness and compassion, of disruptability that he did in Joseph. How? How will the Spirit rule in our hearts? How will Jesus rule in our hearts alone? We need the Spirit. So often we reserve the Spirit for that one day in Pentecost, but but we need the Spirit now. You know, the amazing part about how the New Testament goes on to talk about the Spirit is that it is the Spirit of Christ and that the Spirit comes to dwell within us. So just as the Spirit gave birth, gave life to Jesus and and conceived Jesus so that Jesus was born in that manger and came to dwell among Mary and Joseph, The Spirit through the New Testament is portrayed as the Spirit of Christ who longs to come and dwell among us. John, seeing his revelation, even described it as Jesus standing at a door knocking, saying, whoever opened the door, remember he's speaking to a church, whoever in the church will open the door of their lives to him, I'll come in and I'll sit with them and have supper with them, I'll eat with them, I'll be with them. Jesus is longing to be born in our hearts. And we need the Spirit to work in us for that to happen. So as much as we remember in this season Jesus being born, and we look back with a sense of fondness and gratitude for what God has done, This Christmas story is not just about what happened 2,000 years ago, but what has been happening through the Spirit since then. 
that Jesus is being born and, and coming to live and dwell within each of us. And in this season, I invite you. No, it's not just me, actually. The Spirit invites you to open your hearts, to make room for Jesus to live within you, and not just to live within you, but to rule your hearts, casting out the darkness, filling with life the barren places, rescuing you from the sins that seemed impossible to escape, from the fears and the sins that have held us, so that Jesus might have life within us and might rule in our hearts, not someday, but today. Let's pray. Come Holy Spirit, silent breath of God, move among us to conceive within us the life and image of your Son, Jesus Christ, that we might move in powerful ways to follow him, to be filled with his life, that others might be able to look at us and see, ah, something's different. Jesus is alive within them. Transform us and, and remove those places of darkness and chaos. Fill our lives, those barren spaces, with the life of Jesus Christ. Rescue us from our sins and from destruction. Set us free from every fear that we might live lives that are disruptible before you, that will follow you at a moment's notice. And may you form in us that character, your character, which you showed through Joseph, your servant, a character of righteousness and compassion, that we too may be like Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.